0: Hi, guys, and welcome to the Moms of Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy.
1: How are you? I'm doing
0: great and awesome. How are you?
1: Hey, I'm good. I have to say, your tone made me think you were going in a different direction. And I was like, we've talked for a minute. I thought things were okay, but apparently they've taken a turn in the last 30 seconds. And then, of course, I blame myself and said, What did I do? You know, I- I've been through a lot in the past five seconds. Really- even, so, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I feel like I was so excited
0: in October and I was very happy for Halloween. And now that's kind of the fun of that is wearing off and it's in November at this point. And I don't know how we're already into November and there's a big holiday this month. And like, I just don't know what's happening now. I start this is the time when I start panicking right at the end of the year being so close because it's all fun and games until November hits. And then you're like, oh, it's actually the end of the year. Somehow. Yeah.
1: So that's where I'm at. And I'm. <laughs> yeah. Now you see all the posts like there's only eight Fridays left or however many Fridays till Christmas. And I'm like, well, you're on my crap list. Don't ever post something like that again. Right. <laughs> That's not helpful. It just stresses me out.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, but other than that, I'm doing great. And good. I mean, it's been a good week. It's been a good, it's been a great time. Well, there you go. So We're just going to jump right into it this week with our story. And uh, the story is coming out of Wichita Falls, Texas. And I've actually never heard of Wichita Falls, but I find it to be kind of a tongue twister to say Oh yes. the word falls after Wichita. So you should
1: try that, Melissa, in Google this city. <laughs> Thank you so much. And I look forward to editing myself later after I say Wichita Falls more than once. I've already almost messed it up. So, Mandy, Wichita Falls, Texas, is located in northern Texas near the border of Oklahoma, and as of the 2010 census, has a population of around 104,000 residents. I think that makes it, it's like in the top 30 of the most populous cities in Texas, so I'm actually kind of surprised I had not heard of it either. The town of Wichita Falls was home to three major tornadoes in 1958, 1964, and 1979. That last one that occurred in 1979 is referred to as being part of the 1979 Red River Valley tornado outbreak, where a series of 59 tornadoes hit from Texas, Oklahoma, and Indiana, and left over 20% of the population of Wichita Falls homeless. I've never heard of that many Wow, fifty nine. Can you imagine just thinking like, when is this going to end? That that has to be just terrifying. It's just I don't know. That's not a very fun fact. I'm super sorry. I Charlie Brown that. (laughs) That was my U R ER fact of the day. So I'll, I'll move on. Mandy, Elvis Presley performed in Wichita Falls very early on in his career. Um, at the time, his music wasn't very well known or very well received there. So midway through his show, he actually switched it up and instead decided to sing gospel music, which made for a much happier crowd. And a fun fact in a chat about fun facts, minus the whole tornado one, When I Googled more to read about this Elvis story, because there were not a lot of facts in the area, I found out that Wichita Falls has its own Elvis-related store called Elvis Always Gifts and Collectibles, which then I'm always like so intrigued by reviews on things. So I had to click it to see what one Google reviewer had to say, which was, quote, it's good if you like Elvis also the old lady running the place is nice. (laughs) I was like, can you imagine going in there and being like, I hate Elvis. I am team Beatles. I'm going to write the rudest, rudest thing, but also the lady, the old lady that runs the place is nice. So way to go, old lady. You're really making fans there. And Mandy. (laughs) Lastly, Wichita Falls is home to the world's littlest skyscraper. The building, which is now called the Newbie McMahon Building, began as blueprints brought forth by a man named J.D. McMahon. In 1919, he was going to build a high-rise building after the city came into some money and they wanted to make room for office space for people. So he was able to collect over $200,000, which is equivalent to almost $3 million today in capital from investors in the area. But what he failed to even verbally state, but he did actually draw this out on the documents, was that it was going to be 480 inches, not 480 feet. You know how when you write out 480, I'm using the word apostrophe, but that can't be right. 480 inches would be two apostrophe marks, and 480 feet is Uh just one. So he wrote it out, 482 apostrophe marks, but nobody noticed. (sighs) So he literally was just building a 480-inch skyscraper. And because he never, isn't that crazy? So he never actually stated to anyone that it was 480 inches. He never like verbally said that. And it was written in the blueprints. The judge actually said Technically, he didn't do anything wrong. And so he skipped town and took most of the money with him. Oh my God. Isn't that crazy? And it's the tiniest building. I'll have to post it on Instagram or something, but it is a teeny tiny little building next to another one. Like they had to use ladders to get up. Like there weren't even, wasn't even a staircase building. It. It's just the most insane thing. So the town felt really kind of silly after this happened that they had been duped and that nobody noticed, you know, this huge oversight. And so you know, they spent $200,000. And so I decided to make them feel better from a hundred years ago to think of some things that are worse to spend money on than, you know, a fake skyscraper (laughs) that's like a mouse house. So Mandy, five things. Number five, what's worse than spending money on shampoo for your kids? Like nice shampoo, because they're going to dump it out and use it for bubbles. Even if you buy them bubble bath. How many times is that? Do your kids do that? (laughs) It makes me crazy. Yes every time yes we go through
0: so much yes we go through so much shampoo and body wash in uh, my kids bathroom and I'm always like what are you guys doing with this stuff you don't have to use that much but oh my gosh yes bubble bath all kinds of stuff I don't even know like what they do with it
1: I know but I'm like I'll buy bubble bath and I'm like but why is the shampoo gone like I smelled your head it doesn't smell that clean (laughs) what are you guys doing in there So number four, Mandy, would be renting a movie for 24 hours instead of 48 hours, because so help me, anytime we've ever rented a movie for 24 hours, someone immediately starts throwing up, you know, maybe breaks a bone, something bad happens, and you don't even get your money's (laughs) worth, and I'm just really pissed about that I (laughs) mean, It's a very specific thing that's happened to me. Number three, I hope you've seen this on the internet this week, because it's been my favorite thing, Kim Kardashian renting a private island for her closest friends and family. Have you seen this? for her 40th birthday. No. Oh my gosh. It's Twitter did all kinds of remakes of it, but she writes this thing on Inst- or Twitter that's like, it's my 40th birthday and all of my friends and family got tested and they quarantined and I rented an island so we could all be together and remember what times were like before. You rented an island and we're supposed to all be like, congratulations, (laughs) Kim. And nobody questioned it when you were like, you have to quarantine for two weeks before. So anyway, the internet went crazy with like, uh, or Twitter, especially posting things. It's just amazing. So that was a dumb thing to spend money on. Number two, Mandy. Tickets to the fire festival. I'll never get tired of a fire festival joke. That was such a terrible mess, and uh, that's
0: because the Kim Kardashian thing. It sounds like a my very head. Kardashian fire festival. Well,
1: that's another <laughs> thing. One of the that's what one of this is inspired from. Uh, something I retweeted, but it was somebody who took the same words Kim Kardashian wrote, and instead of the pictures of Kim Kardashian's friends, it's pictures of from the fire festival about running an island. I got so much joy <laughs> out of this this week, and last Mandy. The thing that Wichita Falls residents could feel better about spending their money on than what other people have spent money on, I'm not wording that right, but if you've bought musk-flavored lollipops or (laughs) lifesavers, I'll never let that go. But that's way worse than putting money towards a fake skyscraper. Yeah, right? So that's all I've got. That went on far too long, and it's hot in here. So let me just take my sweater off and let's keep going. All right.
0: Susan Nicole Loper was born on April 13, 1971, in Wichita Falls, Texas, to her parents, Morris and Catherine. She graduated from S.H. Ryder High School in 1989, and then she attended American Musical and Dramatic Academy in New York City. Following the Academy, Susan starred in off-Broadway plays, musicals, and shows. She also started a career in the fitness industry. Susan spent 21 years working as a personal trainer, a nutritional counselor, aerobics, and a yoga and Pilates instructor. 16 of those years were spent at Glen Eagles Country Club in Plano, Texas. Susan was married to a man named Craig, and they had one child together, which was a son named Jake. Susan's parents watched Jake at Susan's house during the week while she was at work. By 2006, Susan and Craig's marriage was strained because Craig worked out of town for long periods of time. In the spring of 2006, although they were still married, Susan began dating another man named Terrence Black after a friend introduced them to each other. Susan and Terrence dated on a steady basis for a year, but they would continue to date on again off again after that. By 2007, Susan and her husband, Craig, finally had admitted that it was time for them to part ways. The couple divorced, but they remained friendly and would often spend time together with their son, Jake. In May of 2009, Susan learned that she was actually pregnant with Terrence's child. But this actually was not a happy time for Susan, and this wasn't very good news to her. She chose to end the pregnancy, which deeply upset Terrence. He was very unhappy with Susan's decision and he said, quote, you killed my kid. I'm going to kill you someday, end quote. Susan and Terrence tried to mend their relationship, but they ended up breaking up permanently in August of 2009. But for Terrence, that
1: wasn't the end. Over the next few years, he started stalking Susan. In January of 2010, Susan was ready to find love again, so she did what many people do and joined the dating website eHarmony. It wasn't long before she connected with a man named Jason Hayes. The two hit it off and planned a date, and by February, they were an official couple. Things were going really well in this new relationship until that May when Terrence found out that Susan was dating Jason. He actually took flowers to Susan's mother, Catherine's house, which he said were, quote unquote, for her birthday. While he was there, though, he told Catherine that he actually knew Jason and that Jason had some baggage, is what he said. Basically, he's there trying to sabotage this relationship by talking to Susan's mom. He also told Catherine that he thought that he and Susan and Susan's son, Jake, would make such a nice family. Catherine recalled Terence as being very agitated and really obsessive over her daughter. Obviously, the stunt did nothing to bring Susan back into Terence's life. He didn't exactly win any hearts by going to her mother's house and acting really creepy. As we said, Susan was very passionate about fitness, and in the spring of 2011, she decided that she wanted to open her own Pilates studio. Her last day working at the country club was set for April 19th. One thing to know about Susan is that she was somebody that kept a very strict schedule. She'd leave between 5.15 and 5.30 every morning, stop at Starbucks, and then she'd show up for her shift at the country club. April 19, 2011 was no different. 40-year-old Susan left for work between 5.15 and 5.30, drove to Starbucks, and arrived at the Glen Eagles Country Club at around 6 a.m. Susan's first client of the day, named Terry Kennedy, showed up for her regularly scheduled appointment at 6.15 a.m., but when she arrived at the studio, she noticed that Susan's car was not in the parking lot and the studio lights were off. Terry was really surprised because Susan never missed an appointment. She texted Susan to find out what was going on, but she never received a reply and she eventually left the studio.
0: Later that day, a housekeeper at the club named Cruz Hernandez found a purse on the ground by the back door of the Pilates studio and the straps were stuck inside the door. He gave the purse to his supervisor, who in turn gave it to the receptionist. But nobody that handled the purse actually opened it and looked inside. At around 10 that morning, more clients arrived at the studio for their appointment with Susan. The clients did not see Susan's vehicle in the parking lot and the studio lights were all off, which again is really, really weird because she always opens the studio and she's always there for her appointments. Later on, another employee of the studio stopped by to turn on the lights, and one client that was there noticed that the room divider in the studio had fallen over, and there was also a plant on the ground, glass shards on the mats, and a Starbucks coffee spilled on the floor, and there was more things that looked really out of place, and there obviously had been a struggle of some kind. The client then called the general manager of the studio, who in turn asked the receptionist to look inside the purse that they found and see if they could find any identification. When they looked inside, they learned that the purse belonged to Susan Loper. The manager was extremely alarmed and called the police right away. The first officer to arrive at the studio was Joel Scott, and he immediately realized that a struggle had taken place. He also noticed blood on the floor and two unfired rounds of ammunition. Scott requested backup and more officers came to the scene. They found many things, including a significant amount of blood in the driveway in front of the building, a small amount of blood outside the back door and inside the studio, an unfired round of ammunition in the bushes outside of the front door, and a Starbucks cup with a time-stamped receipt marking the purchase at 5.45 a.m., Officers also noticed that Susan's purse and cell phone had not been taken, but her keys and SUV had been. They quickly realized that this was not a robbery. It was actually probably more like a violent kidnapping that occurred at around 6 a.m. The police came up with the 6 a.m. Time frame based on the Starbucks purchase being at 545 and then Susan, of course, missing her first appointment, which was at 615. So there's not very much time in between right. those two things. It was very clear that she had made it to the studio that morning, but she wasn't there for very long before something terrible happened to her.
1: One of the detectives on the scene, Bruce Fanning, went to visit Susan's boyfriend, Jason. Jason had recently been helping Susan get ready to move her Pilates studio to her new location. The couple spent several hours together on April 17th, but did not see each other on the 18th. They planned to meet during the afternoon on April 19th to help move the studio. On the morning of the 19th, Jason got up around 6.15 a.m., did an exercise program, and then got ready for work where he was a pharmaceutical rep. He then left his home, went to a Burleson doctor's office, and logged in at 8.02 a.m. A A doctor there signed an electronic form at 8.18 a.m., acknowledging that he received samples. Jason told Fanning that everyone really loves Susan, everyone that is except her ex-boyfriend Terrence Black. Detective Fanning says Jason was really cooperative and his response was consistent with someone who found out their loved one was missing. So sometimes in these stories we hear that like somebody has, you know, finds out this happens and then the police are immediately like, "Why are you responding this way?" but they really felt like him right. hearing this and and finding out this, he's doing everything he can and nothing's really suspicious than how he's acting or how he's reacting, really. So next, Detective Fanning and another detective, Scott Epperson, traveled to Susan's home to speak with her parents because Susan's parents, you know, watched her son Jake during the day while she was working. Susan's boyfriend, Jason, later arrived at their house to see if there was anything he could do to help. Officer Epperson spoke to Jason and also believed that he was cooperative and had a very consistent response. Susan's parents then told the detectives about Terrence and how their relationship had really ended very badly. Terrence had become what they said was obsessed and his actions could be described as quote unquote smothering. Terrence tried multiple times to get back together with Susan, but she always refused. And then he would become really angry. Susan's mom said he often stalked Susan. He'd tamper with the gate security device at her house, go through her emails and dating website account without permission, and would show up at places like her house or work and even places that she frequented without invitation, which is terrifying that he's at any point going through all of her stuff and knowing kind of her next steps at all times. Right. Detectives also learned that Terrence often tried to give Susan expensive gifts like a laptop or a flat screen TV. And we're going to get into what happens next after a quick break to hear word from this week's sponsors. Going into the holiday season, I'm always looking for something unique to get people on my list. I've done enough gift cards and buying whatever's on the end cap at the big box stores. But this year, I know I want to get something different, but I really wasn't sure where I should turn. And then I heard about Uncommon Goods. Uncommon Goods is the place to get the most unique, creative,
0: fun, and even personalized things for everyone on your list. There are things on the site I never knew existed, like terrarium candles, and even make your own truffle kits. Uncommon Goods has everything from art, jewelry, kitchen, home, and bar, and you can even search by categories because... Chances are the gift you want to get your mom isn't the same gift you'd want to
1: give to one of your girlfriends. I chose to get the Just Ripe Fruit Bowl because, I don't know about you, but my produce is never all ripe at the same time. What's so great about it is that I'm able to put the ready-to-eat fruit on the top of the bowl, seated on a beautiful maple tray, while things like avocados that are almost never ready to eat when I purchase them go into the glass vented bowl below. Plus, my bananas hang on a built-in hook connected to the bowl, so not only is this totally functional in a way that I didn't even know I needed, but it's beautiful and it looks really great on my kitchen counter. You can find so much more like this on the Uncommon Goods site. And Uncommon Goods is picky about
0: what they allow on their site. They look to feature products that are not only unique, but high quality and either handmade or designed in the U.S. And purchasing through Uncommon Goods helps support artists and small independent businesses. For a limited time, to get 15% off your first gift, go to uncommongoods.com slash momsandmurder. Again, for a limited time, to get 15% off your first gift, go to uncommongoods.com slash
1: momsandmurder. When we were first introduced to Rothy's, I have to admit, I was a little bit skeptical. It sounds crazy that shoes that are made out of recycled plastic water bottles are not only cute, but are also comfortable— And then I tried my first pair of Rothy's and I was a believer from the moment I put them on because they are the most comfortable shoes I have ever worn from the jump. Plus to date, they've transformed over 65 million bottles into beautiful products, so you can feel great about buying them as well. On top of that, their bags and shoes are completely machine washable, which is great because I wear my Rothy's tennis shoes in steel gray all the time and wanna keep them looking just as great as the day I got them. And it's not just us that love our Rothy's.
0: Vogue has called Rothys a personal obsession and Health even says they are the most comfortable shoes on earth, and they're absolutely right. And if you're on the fence about trying Rothys, don't worry. Rothys comes with free shipping and free returns, so you can give them a try for yourself. Rothys are great for any occasion, but I love that I can wear mine with a skirt, shorts, or pants. They are
1: my everyday shoe. Check out all the amazing shoes and bags available right now at rothys.com slash moms. That's rothies.com R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash moms. Style and sustainability meet to create your new favorites. Head to rothys.com slash moms today. And now back to the episode.
0: Before the break, the police had just learned about the obsessive and even stalking behavior that Susan Loper was really being harassed by by her ex-boyfriend Terrence. They soon learned that Susan wasn't actually his first victim. In 1995, Terrence allegedly shook a former girlfriend in Georgia and stopped her from calling 911. He also wrote vulgar terms on her house. Although I am unsure if this is related to the Georgia woman, Terrence attempted to die by suicide in 1995 by overdosing on pills. In 2004 and 2005, Terrence terrorized a woman in Frisco, Texas. He showed up at her house without invitation or notice, and he would call and text her over and over again. So after learning all of this, and then, of course, after talking to Susan's parents, the detectives headed over to Terrence's house in Frisco, but he was not there. Meanwhile, Detective Fred Garcia reviewed the country club security video recordings. This next part is directly out of a court document because there's a lot of information and there's no real way to, like, say it in your own words because it just is, like, information. So I'm just going to read it directly as it says it from there. So it says, quote... The video quality is poor and the area is poorly lit, but the video depicts a vehicle pulling into the parking lot at approximately 5.55 a.m. and parking off camera. Moments later, a person can be seen walking towards the Pilates studio, but the image is obscured by trees and foliage. At around 6 a.m., a person can be seen walking toward the area where the vehicle parked and just seconds later, a white SUV with its headlights illuminated pulled up to the driveway by the Pilates studio. At 6.01 a.m., the driver exits the vehicle, leaves the driver's side door open, and walks around the front of the SUV towards the Pilates studio. Less than a minute later, a person is seen walking from the rear of the SUV to the driver's door, which is still open. The same person walks back around the rear of the vehicle and is obscured from view for about one minute before walking around the front of the car and getting in the driver's seat and closing the door, and the vehicle drives away at approximately 6.02. So that's kind of a a lot and a long way of saying what I think happened is that Susan parked her car, her SUV, at 5.55 and walked into the studio, and then between 5.55 a.m. and 6 a.m., Terrence got into the studio and stole Susan's keys and then walked towards her SUV, and then at 6.01, he pulled it into the driveway, got out, left the door open, and went back into the studio and essentially forcefully took Susan out and put her in the SUV. So there weren't two cars there. It was just Susan's SUV both times is what I'm gathering from right. that information.
1: That's crazy. That's so fast. Like He had to get in there yeah. with that first, her first appointment. But if he was stalking her and yeah, he, he knew, knew her... You know, he knew her schedule. He knew when his window would be. I mean, it's just such a tiny window and everything had to go for him, right? Obviously, totally wrong. But everything had to go right in his mind in just such a small amount of time. That just kind of blows my mind how few minutes there were, you know, between the time she got there and and him coming there. Police found a significant amount of blood near where the passenger side of the SUV would have been at while the SUV was parked in the circular drive. Next, the detectives found out that Susan had a toll tag in the 2010 white Toyota RAV4 that she was borrowing from her parents. The toll tag records showed the SUV entering the Dallas North Tollway at the Parker Road entrance at 6.12 a.m., traveling northbound. The SUV then exited the toll road at Lebanon Road at 6.16, and this is actually the exit near where Terrence lives, and then re-enters it at 6.36 a.m., traveling southbound. Two minutes later, the SUV exited just before the Parker Road exit, then re-entered the toll road at Parker Road. There were no other transactions, which meant the SUV ended up exiting at a free exit, so there was no log of it. Police figured the SUV exited near the country club, so that's where they started their search for the SUV. Police would go on to find Susan's locked RAV4 in the parking lot of an apartment complex that was located less than a mile from the country club. There was blood and hair on the right front passenger window, a large amount of blood in both the front and back seats, and a bloody handprint on the outside of the SUV. There was no distinguishable fingerprints on the handprint. Most likely the person was wearing a latex glove. Green vegetation was also found on the vehicle's front grill, the right front floor mat, and right front running board. A hair that was recovered from the driver's side of Susan's SUV had similarities to Terrence's hair. The DNA from the gear shift and the headrest was consistent with a mixture from Susan, Terrence, and an unknown person.
0: The police obtained a search warrant for Terrence's house, and they searched his home on April 20th, 2011 at 5.30 in the morning. Terrence was not home at the time that this warrant was executed. The house was clean, and there was no blood evidence, gun, or ammunition present. However, the detectives did find handwritten notes and printed documents in a desk drawer. The printed documents did not mention Susan's name. One of them was titled, Chapter 6, Easing Back into Your Relationship. Ooh. Yeah. So the handwritten notes did mention Susan by name, though. One of the notes was titled, Magic Formula, and it was a numbered list, and this is what it said. Number one, I desire my lover, in parentheses, Susan, to love me and only me. I want her to be faithful to me, love me unconditionally, and be loyal to me. Number two, I always receive whatever I ask for. Number three, I will not question or judge how it will come about. If I make no judgment by myself, whatever I wish for will be granted. And number four, I will express
1: my gratitude. So this
0: is some list.
1: That's, wow, (laughs) that's a lot. It's ending with this gratitude, so it's almost like take everything else I said that's garbage and crazy pants, but I'm ending it with gratitude and I'll be thankful and like kind of negating all the other stuff he's saying. You know what I mean? Like ending it on that note is like, right, but it's fine. I will be thankful for everything that comes from that. That's just wow. And to write those things out is just bananas. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So after searching Terrence's residence, officers headed to Lebanon road exit. And this was the exit that the vehicle had been off on for the longest amount of time. Officer Joel Scott looked near a field and found fresh tire marks and then followed them by foot, and when he did that, he sadly came across Susan Loper's body at about 8.35 a.m. Her body was nude from the neck down, she had a sweater covering her face, and her arms were over her head. Both her pants and underwear were around her ankles. One shoe was on and the other was just nearby. Officer Scott also found two unfired bullets within 20 feet of Susan's body. The medical examiner was then called to the crime scene, and he determined that the back of Susan's skull was what he called eggshell, meaning that it was completely fragmented and caved in. The autopsy showed that she died as a result of blunt force trauma to the head. She had one blow to the forehead and at least seven blows to the back of her head, all with hard objects. The hard object could have potentially been a gun. The trauma indicated that there was an intent to kill, but there was no sign of sexual assault. And we're going to get into the rest of the story after one last break to hear a word from this week's sponsors.
1: Dirt Cheap is a new podcast from Neon Hum Media that digs deep into the dollar bins of used bookstores and your grandmother's storage unit in search of pulp, sass, and questionable grammar. It's the poolside podcast you've been waiting for. Guided by hosts Amanda Meadows and Jeffrey Golden, each season will explore a forgotten and discarded pulp novel culled from the dustbin of literary history, reenacting its pages through narration and sound design, stopping and starting to respond and bring its oddity and hilarity occasionally into relief.
0: Amanda and Jeffrey bring these rare, bizarre stories to life each week, chapter by chapter, with a heavy dose of humor and a dash of schadenfreude. In this upcoming season one, they read Murder in the Glass Room, an L.A. noir novel that almost became a blockbuster film. Set in Los Angeles in the 1940s, it's a funny, surprising, and very dated tale about a murder starring a petulant bookie named Phil, who's obsessed with following that murder and also is really into interior design. He's really odd and does odd things. Phil is a quote-unquote detective, not a real detective, but starts to act like one when his wife is murdered and he's the primary suspect. You don't need to read the full book to listen along. Hosts Amanda and Jeffrey will guide you chapter by chapter, extracting excerpts and providing their own comedic commentary and storytelling styles. Join Amanda and Jeffrey in the efforts to solve this mystery together and have some fun along the way.
1: Subscribe and follow the story to solve the mystery of season one, Dirt Cheap Now. To listen to the show, just search for Dirt Cheap in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. I don't know about you, but the days feel a little bit longer lately, so I've been looking for something to do to kill a little time throughout the day. And that's where my love of Best Fiends comes in. Best Fiends is a puzzle game that is not only a lot of fun to play, but it gives you a fun way to exercise your brain by completing different levels and uncovering new levels of a story. What makes it a lot of fun for me is that while it's an individual game, I can also compete with family and friends. My daughter even plays now, so we have a friendly little competition going on, and by that I mean I am beating her, but she's a good sport and is trying to surpass me. In Best Fiends,
0: you collect additional fiends as you go along, and the more levels you work through, the more you can update your fiends and make them work for you even more. Plus, Best Fiends is more fun the longer you play. So it keeps you coming
1: back to see what's new. It's so helpful that internet is not required to play Best Fiends because at night when everyone's on a device working or doing homework, I can easily sneak in a few minutes to play without slowing anyone down. And one of my favorite times to play is at night with an episode of Parks and Rec playing in the background. It's just a nice way to relax at the end of the day. There are what I call challenges within challenges where you can win things that will help you with different levels. Plus Best Fiends updates every month so it always feels new and not like playing the same old game every day. I'm on level 1030 now and it's honestly been such a fun and rewarding challenge. Best Fiends is the first mobile puzzle game that I haven't gotten sick of playing thanks to the thousands of levels it already has with new levels, events, and characters added every month. So there's always something new and exciting going on. Download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Now back to the episode. After the discovery of Susan Loper's body, one of Terrence's neighbors actually sent him a text saying that, you know, she was very sorry for what had happened to Susan. Terrence replied to this text with, quote, What happened to Susan? I've been out of town since Monday, end quote. He said at that point he was in El Paso because he needed to get away. It's very interesting that your first response was, hey, what happened? I've been out of town, by the way. I'm out of town. No questions to ask, you know? Right. So the neighbor didn't want to break the news to Terrence through text, so she told him that Terrence should call her. And he did that 20 minutes later, and that's whenever she told him what happened. She said he seemed very upset, and she asked Terrence when the last time was that he spoke to Susan. Terrence said it was December of 2010. Police later obtained Terrence's cell phone records and found that Terrence had actually not been in El Paso since that Monday. In fact, he had been in Frisco at 7.28 a.m. on April 19th. By 7.57 a.m., he was in Southwest Frisco, and at 8.09 a.m., he was buying gas before he began traveling west. He was in El Paso by 6.29 p.m. and then in New Mexico by 9.40 p.m. Terrence then drove through New Mexico the next morning and arrived in Flagstaff, Arizona at 2.44 p.m. On April 22nd, Grand Canyon Park rangers received a call about a panhandler at a scenic overlook. The rangers then found 48-year-old Terrence talking to a group of about six people. They asked Terrence for identification, but he said that he lost his money belt. He told the rangers that his name was Jeffrey Stevens and gave them some sort of random date of birth. The rangers told Terrence that they didn't find anyone in their system by that name and date of birth. And so Terrence said he was going to go back to look for his money belt and he started walking down a trail. That's when the rangers told Terrence to stop. But instead, he went down a steep slope at the edge of the canyon and suddenly jumped. He landed 25 feet down in a sloped area with thickets. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine watching this happen? I know. Oh, my (laughs) gosh. I know. Talking to this guy and he's like, actually, I'm going over this way and then jumps off. That's I can't even imagine getting that out of your head. That's crazy.
0: I mean, I can't imagine just being at the point where you're like, well, this is what I have to do now. Yeah. Like, I just have to jump off the side of this cliff.
1: And hope for the um, best. That I mean, would just be,
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. So at first, Terrence appeared to be unconscious after his jump, but then he sat up and he began moving around. The Rangers told him not to move because he was in danger of falling into what they said was the real Grand Canyon. A tactical rope team reached Terrence and removed him from the slope the rangers found Terrence's driver's license partially buried in the dirt near where they first encountered him. Two days later, the rangers went back to the area to see if Terrence left anything else, and they found his key fob partially buried in the dirt also. And two days after that, at a different location, the rangers found a handwritten note that said, quote, "'Family, so sorry for all the pain.' I've been in pain for a while now. Debts were too high, school too long, and made too many mistakes in life. Thanks for all you've done, especially Wendy and her support. I just can't mooch any longer. Pray for me. Love you all. Rants. The other side of the note said, quote, extremely depressed. Someone killed Susan. She was amazing. End quote. Detective Epperson traveled to Arizona on April 22nd with a search warrant to search Terrence's SUV. In the SUV, Epperson found a large amount of clothes, a suitcase, two laptops, an iPhone, a passport, two knives, and a suicide note. When the laptops were examined, it was found that Terrence had been remotely accessing Susan's email since before her murder. One email he accessed said that Susan would be at the studio on April 19th by 6.30 a.m. Terrence also had a photo of Susan and Jason on Valentine's Day in 2011. On Terrence's calendar app in his iPhone, police found evidence proving that he had been obsessed with Susan since their breakup in 2009. He had multiple entries in the app, and it kind of resembled a journal. So these are a few of the entries that were found in the app. On November 29th, 2009, he wrote, quote, lost her again, effing eHarmony. On December 13th, 2009, he said, last time I saw her, and he also wrote, God must help. On April 20th, 2010, he wrote by G, like B-U-Y. And some of these, you don't even really know what in the world he's talking about. Because right. they're not really, they, they don't really make a lot of sense. And they're just like shorthand notes that he was writing to himself. Uh, on May 3rd, 2010, there was an entry that just said D-Day. I think it's supposed to be, so I gotta go, can't let basically another guy, have my hard work. So he is clearly thinking about Susan and her new relationship and is not happy about it. He's dwelling on it. So December 9th, 2010, which of course is months, you know, later, he wrote another note that just said decision day for smoker. And then March 11th, 2011 and April 4th, 2011, he wrote entries that just said smoker, which I guess is his... I guess he's trying to write this in code so that it's not Isn't obvious code. you know, what he's, yeah, it's really not. So next, the police found out that Terrence purchased a nine millimeter handgun and two boxes of ammunition for a Fort Worth Cabela's on June 21st, 2010. The bullets found in the studio and in the field matched the same brand as one of the boxes of ammunition that Terrence purchased at Cabela's.
1: 48-year-old Terrence Black was extradited back to Texas and was held on a $1 million bond. His trial began on August 20, 2012. During the trial, firearms expert Detective Luke Grant testified that the unfired rounds found in the studio in the field were most likely due to Terrence being unfamiliar with the gun. When the safety is engaged, a live round would be ejected. A friend of Terrence's testified that he wasn't interested in guns and really was not very knowledgeable about them. The gun used in this has never been located. During the trial, the prosecution said Terrence parked his vehicle in the apartment complex parking lot where Susan's SUV was found. Then he walked to the country club, kidnapped Susan, took her to the field, and killed her. Then he drove her car to the apartment complex parking lot and switched cars. The defense said that the police, quote-unquote, rushed to judgment and had decided by 6 p.m. the day Susan died that she was killed by Terrence. They said that they never even looked at Susan's boyfriend Jason as a suspect. On August 30th, 2012, the jury that was made of nine men and three women deliberated for four and a half hours before they came up with a verdict. Terence was found guilty of capital murder. Because the prosecution did not seek the death penalty, Terence Black was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Man, that's, though, obviously the story is very sad. It's just, he was so obsessed with her, obviously, and knew everything about her. He knew that she was going to be changing studios obviously, you know, if he's in her emails and stuff, he knows she's moving. He probably thinks he has this very small amount of time that he can do anything if she's moving it two days and this boyfriend's so involved in it and stuff. Yeah, I know. And
0: we've uh, talked about stalking kind of recently on the show, but yeah. I just want to reiterate that like, I cannot think of many things that are much more terrifying, I feel like than being stalked. And especially when you are completely unaware, you know, as most people are, Sometimes, I mean, sometimes you know that you're being stalked and you're, you know, you know who it is and you're, they're actually harassing you. But in the case where somebody is looking through your personal accounts and things and keeping tabs on you, that's really scary to think of because you just don't know like what they're doing with that information. It's such a violation of privacy and just really scary that it can turn into something like this, where they know down to the minute when you're going to be somewhere and have that opportunity to bring harm to you if they, you know, if that's what they chose to do. Very, very sad story. Okay, Melissa. So are we ready to turn the page and kind of go to our lighter ending segment, our last thing before we go segment? I'm ready. Are you ready?
1: I'm ready. And so this week, it's a little, it's still in the Halloween spirit because technically it's not even Halloween yet. So we're still, Mandy's still in the Halloween spirit, barely, and I've definitely moved on. But I looked up would you rathers basically, and they're, I looked up fall or autumn ones and I got more spooky ones, but I thought these would be fun. So Mandy, these are basically would you rather's. So would you rather walk through a graveyard at night? or spend the night in a haunted house. Let's assume that you're either walking Ooh. the graveyard all night or spending the night in a haunted house. Same amount of hours. Because for me, that makes a difference. If you just run through a graveyard I don't get seconds. to take anyone with me, like a friend you're or by a yourself, or anything? No, you can bring a ghost oh, no. with you.
0: <laughs> might mean Okay, one. so if I'm by myself... Okay, this is going to sound super weird, and I don't know what it is, but I feel like I'd rather stay in a graveyard because... I don't know. I feel like I'd be I don't know. Something about being in a haunted house. I just feel too claustrophobic and closed in. Like I feel like I'd be okay if I was like outside. I don't know why. There's no logical reason. Do you sleep outside why. your own
1: home? Are you <laughs> Is no, your own home too good haunted. for you?
0: <laughs> I know. I mean, I might if it if I thought it was haunted, I might feel more comfortable outside, but I feel like I would be less scared in an outside setting where I just didn't feel like closed in like to one house. You
1: know, I don't know. That's not so very logical. So animals can because... still kill you. I guess just random people that hang out in graveyards—they could kill right? you too. I feel like there's more people. I'm that more to scared kill you. of them
0: actually than I am of ghosts. I yeah. know,
1: I know. So I would—I think I would spend the night in a haunted house. And you know, I'm—that is just not okay with me. But I feel yeah. like the idea of being outside in the elements is way more terrifying to me. I can close my eyes. What if it's on a like a nice house? night though. Yeah, but yeah, I mean there's still ants. Oh my gosh, there's still ants and bugs. I'm I'm only thinking of the like camping outside and just how much I hate that. I assume if I'm in the haunted <laughs> house, there's a bathroom. I'd probably just hang out in there. I made up my own rules on this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mandy, next one. Would you rather these are so silly. Would you rather be a vampire or be a werewolf? Think about it.
0: Ooh, I think I would rather be a werewolf.
1: And why is that, Mandy? That's half the reason. Because I want to, I want to howl at the moon. There you go. <laughs> um, other acceptable <laughs> answers would be: you don't want to drink blood if you're a vampire. No, thank well, you. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> and werewolf, you don't have to shave. That's that's where I would go. There yeah, you right. go. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. Okay, two more. Would you rather be chased by zombies or chased by werewolves? I know those are kind of the same thing, like same idea, but zombies, I am so terrified by zombies. Which would you rather do?
0: Yeah, but they're slow. Zombies are slow. I'd rather be chased by zombies because some chase that's going to be. I could totally outrun a zombie.
1: Yeah, I don't <laughs> think I'm
0: bad athletics. So. I feel like a werewolf runs fast, but werewolf is like a dog, right? So it well, what runs if-
1: what if they quickly? see the moon? If they see the moon, they might get distracted. There's an extra hundred yards. I don't think you can they. Get. Well, it's well, the moon doesn't hypnotize them. Well, in my story, it does. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything about werewolves. All I know is werewolves. I love I love
0: stupid hypotheticals. It's that so you fun. can Just break. You can tear apart and like. find all the flaws in these in these theories but yeah no I'd rather be chased by a zombie because I don't think they're fast enough to be scary
1: almost immediately I would be like just bite me I don't feel like running you guys walk slow I can just hang around take it's fine (laughs) I would just I would be walking towards them just be like just do it let's just get this over with I don't feel like running okay last one Mandy this one is very dumb but I am very terrified of the first one would you rather sleep in a coffin imagine it closed on top of you or this is mm. such an opposite and stupid thing, and I should have thought of another one. Or would you rather live in a pumpkin?
0: Oh, well, obviously, I would rather live in a pumpkin. Do I get to be shrunk down, or it just is a giant
1: pumpkin? You better hope they have a pumpkin big enough. I don't know. The, I don't make the rules. But Mandy, think about it. A pumpkin sitting outside in Florida for a while, you think that's going to be a good Oh my breezy gosh. Breezy? I already
0: threw mine away. They were liquefying on my front porch. Yeah. So I had you wanna to live get in that. Rid of
1: them. It's going to be ants and bugs. I mean, but if it's a pumpkin house, maybe it will not melt. That doesn't mean it smells like pumpkins. It means it's an actual pumpkin.
0: <laughs> oh well, I mean, I don't want to live in a decaying piece right. of fruit.
1: Don't call so it a fruit. Don't call it a fruit. What? Take that back. It's not a fruit. I refuse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, what was? I don't even remember the sleep first in a place coffin. Anymore, Just every I, night, I, you go to bed in a coffin.
0: Every night?
1: Oh, wow. I added yeah. that just now. I mean,
0: <laughs> I don't think I'd want to do that either. I am I would get too claustrophobic. I am very scared of things like that, like the idea. Yeah. Oh, I just don't even want to think about being close into a coffin. That's just now think that of sleeping not my style. In a that co- cramps my style.
1: <laughs> now imagine sleeping in a coffin <laughs> inside a pumpkin. Actually, that would be helpful because then the decaying, liquefying stuff can't get to you. So sleeping in a coffin in a pumpkin is my oh. final answer. <laughs> okay, this has gone on oh my too gosh. long. I'm so sorry.
0: We are so delirious and just mm-hmm. ridiculous at, at this time. I keep saying that like it's going to change, but it's not going to. Never. So. Um, so yeah, so come back next week for more of this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> not more of that. I think I ran that into the ground. No more werewolves. All right, guys, we will see you back next week. Same time, same place. New story. Have a great week. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.